Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Darby as Lucy Mercury, Rich as Toby Bork, Six as Garrett Hardy. Tonight's episode, Where Titans Collide, Part 1. Where Titans Collide contains violence, gore, convenience, and a unification of kindred spirits. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials, the Dog Walkers are trapped in an underground facility awaiting the arrival of the unknown soldier. As their rescue train speeds towards their location, the Orpheus operatives must hunker down and face their implacable opponent head on. Where we last left off, the three of you are in an underground facility owned by Applied Materials at the bottom of an open-air diamond mine in the small town of Mirny in Russia. The three of you had been tasked, last you remember, to retrieve the black boxes from a plane that crashed in the mine. And you did that. You sent the NTSB investigator, Carla Krasinski, off to the survivors in the town's hospital. But before the three of you could escape you were beset upon by soldiers from a paramilitary group known as Black Steel Industries. The three of you and your Russian escorts were pushed deeper into the mine, and your Russian contact, the FSB agent Kristof Borochev, revealed himself to be an ex-employee of Applied Materials and let you guys into this facility using his old keycard. He apparently was the chief of security of either this facility or somewhere else. The three of you explored this facility, found a train station attached to it along with a global map, and you accepted a phone call from a team of Orpheus agents all the way across the pond in Japan who have dispatched a train to head to your location. Unfortunately, that train is going to take some time to get here. And as the three of you are sort of milling around on the train station, Kristoff comes back over to you and he says, We do not have a lot of time. Whatever that thing is that came down here, that we blew up a while ago, I think it's coming back. It will come back. So we need to make sure that before it can get in here and ruin this train station, we should at the very least stop it. Or toy with it, as it were. Agreed. Put together the world's largest home alone traps. Except these ones are lethal. I don't think lethality is going to matter to something that can just get back up. However, you need to consider that that creature, that thing, it did take time to get back up. We had all the time in the world to come down here and explore for about a good, what was it, five, almost ten minutes. You took that phone call from those other agents in that other country, and they are sending train. And only now is that thing gotten back up and coming towards us. So, I have theory. That maybe, even though this creature is very strong, its regeneration is not very fast. Question for you guys. Lucy has a pretty thoughtful expression on her face. Well, two questions. How smart do we think this guy is? Personally, not very. Like, do we think smart as a, like, kind of dumb person? Are we thinking basically an automaton? Like, where are we thinking in terms of intellect? I'm thinking freight train. Interesting. Quick question. Do we have any, uh, hypothetically, do we have any images or videos or anything of any high-ranking, military-oriented applied materials associate by any chance, maybe? Just for, you know, hypothetical questions here. You know, I bet we could probably find some on the computers if they haven't scrubbed them all clean. 
Yeah. I'm thinking something that, hypothetically, if he was to show up, that big boy out there might take orders from. Why don't you roll me a luck check, Lucy? I would love to. I got a plus one. So, as the four of you are discussing your plans and what you want to do, Lucy, you broach this idea. And then, as you sort of think on it, you hearken back to your time in Orpheus. So, in about the five years that you've spent with the company, you have met some measure of military personnel. Generally speaking, it's foot soldiers, people that are not too high up the food chain. The most you've ever seen as far as ground-level troops are concerned are things like your average sergeants, either drill sergeants or even maybe even a lieutenant. But there was a case you worked in Hawaii where you had to you had to join forces with an Air Force colonel who was in charge of a wing of the U.S. Air Force. A small one, but there was stuff during that mission that required you to basically be in contact with someone in the high brass. And as it stands, there was a person in Hawaii that Orpheus could contact to get them to work with you for that particular case. And so you remember, yeah, you do have someone that you can probably phone call. You don't know what time it is over there in Hawaii, but... You might be able to call him. Oh, it's better just... than a phone call, trust me. Had I encountered the person or met him or anything? or You wore boots on the ground with him in Hawaii. So you remember what he looks like, what his name is. You even have his phone number if you ever wanted to video call him. You've only worked with him once. But that encounter stood out to you because of just how high-ranked the guy was. And he's also quite old. So I think uh, Lucy will roll her shoulders. Anybody have a pair of uh, glass slippers by any chance? Right before she casts uh, Mask of the Faceless. So that's two sanity. Yep, I am minorly wounded sanity-wise. That's great. Okay. So what does this Air Force Colonel look like, Lucy? So she turns around and pulls out a knife, slices her hand, and somebody in the room to come over and draw a small little smiley face onto the comedy mask, pulling up the back of her shirt so that they can do so. Because she could do it on her own. She's not that flexible. Would anybody uh, volunteer for that? Probably will. Great. So, Toby, you take your combat knife and you draw a little smiley face on Lucy's back. On this rather nice tattoo of a tragedy comedy mask that is just all across her shoulder blades. And once you finish the little smiley face, a tiny stream of blood starts to trickle down Lucy's back. And then it rewinds back into the wounds as she begins to change. And um, the Air Force Colonel that she transforms to, she grows three or four inches. You see her hair kind of recede into her skull, which really makes you wonder where the hair dye goes. A cap kind of spontaneously forms out of some of the hair as it's receding in. Her generally very punk outfit transforms spontaneously into an Air Force uniform with a bunch of medals on the front. And looks like she puts on about 50 pounds of just muscle at that point. Wouldn't be any use if she actually tried to use it, but sure looks like it's there. And otherwise, she looks like the stereotype of a harsh, well-built, stern military person. So uh, how do I look? Anybody got a pumpkin carriage ready? This is never not going to be weird to look at or to watch happen. Think about how weird it feels. Actually, I'm pretty sure I understand how that transforming into something feels. Didn't think about that. Kristoff kind of looks you up and down, and he says, eh, good enough. He was hoping that whatever that thing is outside, it recognizes American military as opposed to Russian. Let's hope. Otherwise, uh, I'd better get some running in. Now, I don't want to put all of, uh, what, is the, what is the phrase, eggs in one basket. We should probably prepare some sort of contingency or multiple contingencies in the event that this thing manages to bypass you. I would recommend some sort of uh, guerrilla warfare. I'm sure that you Americans, you are familiar with what happened in that one disastrous war that you tried to fight in the 70s in Vietnam. Uh, the war we got second place in. Exactly. To be fair, it was against the most decorated military in the 20th century. Farmers. We should prepare this area as best as we can. Leave traps everywhere. Set up ambush spots. 
open up shortcuts to and from different places in this facility. We do not have a lot of time. Do you think they'd be paired knowing to put in their own self-destruct sequence in here? That would take the whole train station along with us. I would put it on a timer, if it has one. Again, that could just not be a thing. Orpheus would appreciate if we had a uh, self-destruct on this thing. We do not need that big boy running around outside after us. Unfortunately, Applied Materials facilities were designed with future-proofing in mind. Not a lot of them have self-destruct sequences. Usually, these places are used once, left abandoned with everything else removed, and then if the facility is needed again, cleaning crews and maintenance workers come in here and spruce the place up again for people to use. Nobody's going to ask Kristoff if he still has any uh, grenades or other explosives on him. Kristoff nods, and he pats some of the pockets on his combat vest. He doesn't come up with much. He only comes up with two frag grenades. That's two booby-trap doors. Toby lets Kristoff know uh, that he is skilled uh, and capable in building uh, anti-personnel devices and in all walks of demolitions. Kristoff nods and he pats your shoulder. Toby, and he says, then these will be in better hands than mine. And he hands you the two frag grenades. And so I would like Garrett and Toby to make me analog security checks with your cognition. Lucy, I'd like you to make me a deception check with your charisma. One. That's bad. I remember why I like using using real dice now. I mean, you can spend one strain. <laughs> one mental strain. I might as well. I'm not really using that mental strain for much else. Oh, I don't actually have any plus anything from Mask of the Faceless. I've just got to use this how I have it. We are going to four on that. Okay, I got a five. I'm going to spend uh, spend two spiritual strain on that to bring that up to a seven. Garrett, you're not really able to do much with your dice roll of two. You kind of amble around the facility. You remember the layout of this place, but you're the type of person that knows how to look for traps as opposed to set them, so... In the end, I would like you just to describe where you hide, if you're planning to hide at all. I was thinking Garrett would probably actually try and find uh, probably a security room uh, with cameras. So at least he can keep everyone appraised of what's going on where. Okay. So Garrett, you find a security office tucked away in a little corner of the train station. It is hidden behind a staff-only door next to the train control center. However, this place isn't as close to the rest of the facility as you'd like. And so if you need to go and exit the room to help someone like Lucy or Toby or Kristoff, it's going to cost you some initiative to get out of here and then make your way to them. However, within this room is a bank of monitors, very typical of what you would expect in a security center in pretty much anywhere got a bunch of CCTV cameras that are just on. They're not recording because this place has been decommissioned for quite some time, but they are still on and still monitoring. Toby, with your four, I would like you to tell me where you set up your two booby traps in. And where in where is the um the security office in relation to uh into that? Next to the train control center in the train station. Okay, so all the way at the the back as it were. Yes. Although imposing the uh, the the bulkhead, the airlock or water lock, as it were, I would not want that to uh, be damaged in case of explosion. So I think the best place would be at the entrance to the entrance to the uh, the the middle uh, area. I would say one. I would say one at the um one at the uh, the front. So the main separation and one, you said one side was dormitory and one side was like uh, was like uh, showers? There are showers on both sides of the facilities, bathrooms and showers. But one side is dorms and the other side is rec room. So you're setting up one tripwire mine on the entrance to the central hallway that leads to the train station. And where would you like to put the other one? Toby is going to set that one first and then would set the other one at the entrance to the uh, the rec room area, the gymnasium type area, because he plans to uh, wait in there and draw the uh, 
the unknown soldier to uh, to try to guarantee that they'll end up walking into at least one of the uh, the improvised explosive devices. So as you enter the rec room, you know that this place is pretty big, and you can set a tripwire mine at the door, and also be in this room to hide behind one of the pieces of furniture as the grenade goes off. You know you have adequate cover. However, that doorway is also the only way in and out of this room. So if you set a trap in here and then lie in wait, you're going to have to dodge the explosion and then combat the thing to try and squeeze past it to get out. And that's going to delay you. I I think that's still going to be the plan. Toby believes that it'll work out. Lucy, you go to the dorms because you know that there are full body mirrors there on the backs of these locker doors for you to look at yourself in. And so you spend the intervening time between after you just finished your little powwow and whenever the incoming fight is, just practicing military posture, language, how to talk like someone who has authority. And so I would like you to note down that if you choose to use your Mask of the Faceless as a distraction to stall the Unknown Soldier's advance, the ensuing deception check or whatever check you have to make with your charisma, you can get a plus one to it. Nice. Okay. And uh, I think that also to boost that even further, like to boost that intentional effect, one of the effects of Mask of the Faceless rank two is that you can try to recall things the subject would know. And uh, for that, you roll luck, which you can boost with humanity if you really need to. Trying to remember what uh, Mr. Teller would have taken for postures, what kind of, like, cones he would use, things like that. May I make a luck check to try to recall some of those? Sure, go ahead. Uh, You don't want him to have the posture of a sassy punk girl? No. I'm going to spend a humanity to boost that luck roll up to make it positive. All right. The memories come back to you clear as day. You know how he carries himself. You know how he talks. You know how he walks. If anyone were to look a little closer and try to take your hat off your head, obviously that disguise would break. But for the most part, you are Air Force Colonel Jonathan Teller. Also, um, as a note, anybody with Knowledge Eldritch 2 or Knowledge Occult 4 has to make a check against my um, disguise, against my Knowledge Eldritch as a Quick note for when I encounter baddies. (laughs) And I forget, is there a properly solid door between us and him, or...? Yes, there there is an airlock that is sealed off with two doors. As the four of you finish up your preparations to make this soldier and its friends play Ring Around the Rosie with you four, you hear the sound of loud boot steps walking towards this airlock door. It's very faint, especially since some of you are deeper into the facility and you're hiding. But Garrett, you see this on the security feed. You see the camera that's in the airlock itself. The feed shows you the same soldier. He's got smoke coming off of him in sheets as he breaks open the outer airlock door and steps inside to a flood of water. Do we have uh, radios? Yes. Just over the radio. Our guest is here. Does someone want to tell him that it's no smoking in the building? That's going to light chuckle out of Lucy. Yeah, Lucy. Places, people. You need to take center stage. Oh, yeah. And as these footsteps go up towards the inner airlock door, I would like the three of you now to roll me initiative. So I have nine actual initiative. I rolled flat, but because discipline is nice and bullshit when it comes to initiative, once per session, I can take a plus two because I have rank five initiative. So I have 11 initiative total. Uh, I've got a uh, got an eight. Toby has a seven. Point of order, DJ, I have a question. We would have had ample warning that, um, that the unknown soldier was making his way in, correct? Yeah, Garrett just warned you, so. Okay, Toby would have used, gone back to full transformation before the uh, unknown soldier showed up readying himself for... Uh, the ensuing altercation. All right. As the four of you prepare for combat, Garrett, you see this happen on the CCTV that overlooks the main lobby. A single boot crashes through the inner doors of the airlock. Lucy, since you're in the dorm area, you can hear this. 
it's a loud, crashing, tearing sound of metal on metal that slowly clatters to a stop. And Garrett, you see just a wash of murky water flow into the main lobby. It starts going everywhere, flooding the floor. Lucy, Toby, sooner or later, you do see a small flow of water heading towards your rooms. It's not even ankle height. It's more like if a pipe were leaking and there's just a small, maybe an inch or two layer of water on the floor. It's muddy, it's murky, it's dirty smelling. All right, he's kicking in the door, quite literally. And past the rush of water, the three of you see a thick fog start to fill this whole facility. The sound of the unknown soldier's boots echoes through the hallways. As Garrett, you see him emerge from the airlock. He's got that barbed wire-wrapped war club in one hand, the gas mask slowly swiveling from left to right as he looks for a victim or a target. And all three of you notice that the walls and the hallways, the floor, it starts to change. Lucy, inside the dorm room, you find that the lockers and beds start to turn muddy and rusty as all along the concrete walls, bits of them start to change into wood, mud-covered wood, wrapped in barbed wire and riddled with bullet holes. We're in the trenches now. Some people do take their shell shock and make it everyone else's problem, but this guy's taking it to a whole nother level. Toby, the rec room furniture seems to fade. The couch you're hiding behind turns into a stack of crates. As all around you, the scene changes into something out of a war movie, a horror movie, you can't tell. There's a thick fog that obscures most of your vision. You can still see the doorway to the rec room, but past that, it's pea soup. Garrett, since you're the furthest away, you can barely see this change happen. But on the cameras, you know that this change is affecting everything around the unknown soldier. And that change is starting to spread towards your location. Well, the cameras have turned into black and white. And some of the cameras have descended into static. Well, I can't see out a few of them. And so, combat has begun. Whatever this fog is, he's blinded a few eyes. I don't think I'm going to be much help from back here now. Dang it. can always pull a, uh, you know, tit for tap. Lucy, it's your turn. What do you do? Well, first things first. You know how I've got uh, impossible geometries? Yes. You know how I used to have a lot more sanity than I do now? Yes. <laughs> I spend another sanity for impossible geometries, which um, lets me get a plus two to stealth rolls for the remainder of the scene. And uh, I seek to get into a convenient position where he's not looking and I can just surprise him with an order out of nowhere and hopefully, just by virtue of his own programming, Convince him to waste time or do something helpful for us. One of those two. Okay. Lucy, as you hear and see and feel the environment change around you, you know that your enemy is somewhere near the front of the facility. And so you fold yourself into the impossible space and worm and slither your way to the front lobby, specifically behind the reception desk where you can hide and prepare yourself for the inevitable. You would have to spend two initiative to move to the next room, despite you being in a possible geometry. So as you reappear and unfold yourself from the liminal space behind the reception desk, I would like you to make me a stealth check with your dexterity, please. And yes, this is affected by rank one of your impossible geometries. Beautiful. Okay. I have a rank five in stealth. Um, I will... I rolled a four. Wow, um, I'm going to take my original roll because that's terrible. All negatives. Um, I'm going to spend two of my precious physical strain to make that a six at least. All right. You re-emerge from the liminal space and keep yourself hidden as the unknown soldier enters. Your feet make not even the slightest sound or ripple in the water as you reappear in now ankle-deep, brackish, filthy mine water. You can tell that the initial inrush of water is now over, and 
what remains is just what was left in the bottom of the pit, which frankly isn't all that much. And past the sound of water starting to settle around the facility, you can hear even more feet coming towards you. The rapid sound of people running towards your location and the faint shouts of, well, men outside. It's still your turn, though. What do you want to do? Lucy will draw her, him, itself up at this point. Prepare the most convincing military bark possible. And shout at the top of her lungs, Soldier, the traitors behind you, wipe them out. And that's going to be a terrible charisma check that I'm going to roll that I'm not going to pass. So I would like you to make me a presence check with your charisma, please. Ah, not deception. Tragic. And remember, you do have a plus one because of your pre-prep. True enough. So that is a plus five on the roll. May I use my motivation? I'm getting through this and I'm fucking retiring. Yes. Excellent. And I'm going to use one spiritual strain because I do not have presence because I forgot that I have a negative one because of my sanity injury. Yep, that is an eight. You pop up behind the table and bark out your order. And for a moment, there is, well, rather awkward silence. But then you see the huge hulking figure in the fog suddenly stand ramrod straight as if acknowledging a military order. You can see that the huge form of the unknown soldier appears to be standing at attention. You repeat the order again in case they didn't hear it. And then you see it hesitate ever so slightly before turning around and marching right back out. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray, you stupid. (laughs) Lucy glances back like, giving an expression that says, there's no fucking way that worked, right? And then we hear the screams. (laughs) Lucy, as you finish up your order and presumably duck back down behind the table to take cover from maybe incoming gunfire, you start to hear the shouts of the men outside. They seem to stop. One of them barks an interrogative at the unknown soldier. And then you hear the screaming start. Lucy feels just terrible about this, let me tell you. I would like you to roll a horror check, please. Yep, yep. (laughs) Because you just sent a strange eldritch monster to go and kill a bunch of paramilitaries. Granted, they're paramilitaries that are also trying to kill you, but... You know. Yep. (laughs) Greater of the two evils. Yep. I'm doing this with discipline. I am in combat. God damn it. I don't have access to the rerolls, so I'm bent too strain on that to bring that up to a six. You pass, standing to lose three preventable sanity damage. Great. I use one mental strain to buy down all of the damage there, and we're good. That is certainly horrifying as you hear the shouts of authority from the soldiers outside turn into screams of terror as their presumably unflinching, unfeeling, uncaring weapon turns against them. Lucy does contemplate, you know, I don't think I'd want to be a hermeticist with their uh, combat homunculi. That just sounds like a bad gig. Not a good feeling. Rather uh, not do this again rather not be in charge of military operations generally. She does not like giving the orders. Garrett, it's your turn. What do you do? You are in the security office. You just watched, quote-unquote, Lucy pop up from behind the reception desk in the front lobby, and you don't hear her say anything. You just see her say something. And then the unknown soldier snapped to attention, turned around, walked right back out. You don't hear anything. You're too far into the facility to hear what's going on outside. No operation stolen valor is working. And uh, anything going on with any of the other monitors or, or are those are they still fading out? Nothing, not at the moment. What monitors you can see that haven't faded are mostly just monitoring hallways. There's one in the dorms where Lucy just left. You can see very faintly past heavy, heavy static, the one in the rec room where Toby is. You can see him hiding behind what looks to be a stack of crates, but nothing appears to be amiss. You can If you want, hold your action and I can let you react to something at a later portion of the fight. Because, of course, the Unknown Soldier has to come back. 
yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and do that and just kind of move where I'm needed as I'm needed whenever somebody needs, you know, a meat shield with a giant axe. Okay, so I would like you to knock off three initiative from your counter as you make your way out of the security office and do the whole trek to get back into the main area. Okay, I've gone from... Eight to five. Toby and Lucy, it is both of your turns. Please, you first. But Toby's going to rely on his his extensive training, uh, his extensive military training, and prepare uh, mentally for the actions he's going to have to take to accomplish the uh, clean escape from a enemy who's in the process of being blown up by a grenade. Mechanically, I'm going to uh, pay five humanity for the overload of field experience and turn all my initiative into interrupt initiative. Okay, cool. That takes you immediately off the initiative counter as you do that. Okay, sure, you do that. You generate seven interrupt initiative. You know that there is a hostile entity outside of the room that you're in. And once they come in, you are going to pounce on them and savage them into pieces. Lucy, you are standing behind the reception desk in the main lobby. The unknown soldier has just left to go and presumably slaughter the reinforcements from Blacksteel that are coming in to try and kill you. What do you do? Honestly, Lucy doesn't have much to do in the meantime while she waits for the boy to come back. I guess, how are the acoustics in here? Just checking. Slightly echoey. You know that there's a hallway behind you, as well as to your left and to your right, so you can just sort of shout, and if you shout, you know that Toby will hear you. You don't know where Kristoff is. He seems to have vanished. Yeah, she's not gonna nuke her allies this time around. That's, uh, that'd be a little bit impolite. So, honestly, I might take a page out of Toby's book and just grab some interrupt initiative, spending... Four initiative to get two interrupt. All right. So it is now the enemy's turn. Lucy, as you duck back behind the table to wait, you can sort of peek up over it to check to see if he's coming back. And he is. Just a couple of moments later, you see the soldier start to walk back into the space of the main lobby. And you can see that he's a little worse for wear right now. He's got a few bullet holes in his chest that are actively dripping blood, but to your horror, you can also see the end of his war club that is wrapped in barbed wire. It is covered in blood and gore. It is soaked. And as he approaches the reception desk, he walks sort of into the center of the room and then stops and stands at attention as if waiting for another order. Oh, goddammit. I mean, objectively a good thing, but... Hmm. What uh? What initiative cell are we on, DJ? Six. Does anyone else go on six? No. Toby, hearing the uh, unknown soldier enter back into the building, um, I'm gonna spend one of my initiative to uh, shout in challenge to uh, grab his attention and his uh his aggro onto me. Right, right now he's literally not doing anything. He's standing at attention. I think there's a chance we could probably get him to go on quote-unquote sentry duty and just leave. We could ask him to dig a trench. We could ask him to fortify this location. Although it's not exactly our initiative cell, so... Uh, Okay, so Toby, you're spending one interrupt initiative to just sort of shout at it, right? Correct. Okay. I would like you to make me a presence check with your charisma. Lucy is low-key hoping that this check fails because combat is expensive and dangerous. (laughs) That is a one. All right. Lucy, as you're sort of contemplating what to do, you hear Toby shout from the rec room that you know he's hiding in. You hear it. And as you peek up over the table, you see the unknown soldier sort of twitch a little while he's standing at attention. And for a moment, you see his head sort of incline towards where he heard the sound from, the gas mask slowly shifting towards where he knows he heard the sound come from. He then sort of appears to snap out of it. And as you duck back down behind the table, your the thoughts of what you're going to do next are brutally interrupted when, crashing through the table, you are assaulted by tendrils of barbed wire. Ah, uh, bollocks. So I would like you to make me a dodge check 
at minus one because this attack comes soundless as two tendrils of barbed wire crash through the table on either side of you and attempt to ensnare you in, well, a very sharp, very pokey embrace. All right. You know what I have plenty of? What? Not physical stats. At a minus one, you said? Yes. See, my evade is a one. That's great. So I'm rolling with just 3DF. I got a minus one. Okay. You found my weakness. It's that I'm very squishy. Wait, what did you roll? A negative one. Oh, Jesus, fuck. This is fine. Lucy has a couple of get-out-of-jail-free cards. Wonderful. So you fail to dodge, and you're taking eight preventable physical damage as these barbed-wire tendrils burst through the table around you and then wrap around your midsection, binding your arms to your chest. And the spines and the spikes on the barbed wire dig into your flesh, drawing blood everywhere they lodge into. And you are now bound. And I would like you to roll me a temp insanity check, please. And do. But important question about that temp insanity check. Will that come before or after I'm able to proc machinations of the timeless? Before. Tragic. All right. I'll roll the temp insanity first, because that is the most relevant out of those, I think. (laughs) Ooh, I rolled a negative two. This could actually be problematic. I would also like you to note down that you have a minus one to dodge and parry until you're at the end of your next turn. Yep. And also, I'd like you to roll for bleeding. Yay! Minus two! So you're heavily bleeding. Mm-hmm. You need to take one physical damage per round until stabilized by first aid. And you can't block this with physical strain. You are horrified. You are in pain. This is probably the worst pain you've ever felt in your entire career as an Orpheus agent and you are bound to this table and you know that even if you were to rewind your injuries the fact that you are still bound means that he can just injure you again and again and again and bleed you like a stuck pig that feeling of helplessness paralyzes you and it prevents you from attempting to escape unfortunate all right Well, I am one over my health track then. So I would like you to make me an up check. So you roll a flat vitality check, and then you just have to beat a one because you're one over. I got a one. Okay, cool. You stay conscious, but you're in a searing amount of pain. There is just probably feet and feet of barbed wire wrapped around your midsection and your arms. It hurts. It really hurts. Garrett, it's your turn. You arrive in the main lobby, axe in hand, only to see the unknown soldier, his left hand extended, and two barbed wire tendrils have punched through the table that Lucy's hiding behind, and she is currently bound on the floor, and she is bleeding copiously from just about everywhere. Well, I think it's time he loses that hand. I can say that retroactively, just like Toby, you can also have transformed before the fight. Okay, I would appreciate that. I'll still retroactively pay the five humanity. So it puts me at 68. But he does already look like a foot wolf. He just won't turn back all the way. And in that wonderful state, he's going to strike two worlds and take that hand. Which means the Greed Axe is now plus zero sixteen. 16. Uh, then you need to make me an attack roll. Okay. I am going to spend a strain to ignore the negative dice on my check. Uh, so it's a melee attack of... Oh, and I'm also spending three strain to boost. So that's six, seven, eight. Eight for the attack. Eight, huh? Oh, that is so unfortunate for this guy. Holy shit. So that's one degree of success as the unknown soldier attempts to parry you. And it almost succeeds. But as it brings up its war club to block your axe... The force is still too great, and the club meets the blade of your axe, but doesn't stop it as it cleaves through its left hand at the wrist. Uh The unknown soldier is now arterially bleeding. You lop off its arm, Garrett, and the tendrils around Lucy go slack, and the creature stares at you You can't even see its eyes through the tinted out 
glass lenses on its gas mask. A moment goes by of silence, and then you just hear this infernal scream muffled by the gas mask come from its face. And it seems to be screaming, shouting in a multitude of voices, male and female combined, as it grabs the gushing, bleeding stump of its left arm and sinks to a knee. Garrett and Lucy, it is both of your turns. What do you do? They wait. Uh, Upon hearing Lucy scream, Garrett make an attack of some sort, and then an otherworldly and terrible screaming that had to have been coming from the unknown soldier. Toby is charging uh, in to uh, protect his uh, squad mates, because from inside the rec room, uh, he cannot do that. I'm go- uh, Toby's going to charge. Okay, so I would like you to make me an athletics check with speed for your charge. So I am going to spend my three athletics temp train, and that's a four. So this will cost four initiative. All right, that's subtracting off of your interrupt. So that spends four of that. So you are charging out into the main lobby, right? Correct. Charging headlong at the unknown soldier. All right. You're making a melee attack as well, yeah? With your claws. Yes. Cool. Make that roll. However, you will be at a minus one to hit. So, I, being fully transformed, I am going to take the plus two in lieu of rolling for claw attack. And I am going to spend my three attack unarmed temp strain. And that brings me to an eight. Uh, minus one is a seven. Would you like to spend a strain to break the tie? I do not have to with field experience. Not only do I have no uh, no need to spend that strain, I also get plus three degrees of success in combat. That's three degrees of success on your melee attack. How much damage do your claws do? They do four four, but it's but I'm also going to spend uh, my two points of primal instinct. That's going to add two d three damage. So let me roll that. So that's a that's plus five damage. So four slash seven. four plus three degrees of success, seven slash four plus an additional five, correct? Twelve slash four, yes. Describe to me how you take down the unknown soldier. Toby heard what happened or heard a terrible sound and assumes the worst and charges out of the rec room towards the where he knows the unknown soldier is. Seeing him uh, on a knee, on uh, his knees, uh, clutching his severed arm, he basically dives, claws first, launching himself forward like uh, like M. Bison, just piercing center mass right into the uh, into the heart of whatever is there of the unknown soldier. You lope out of the rec room and just leap across the space. And Garrett, you see Toby appear from a hallway to your right and just sink his claws all the way to the knuckles inside the Unknown Soldier's chest to the point where you can actually see the tips of his claws poke out his back. There is a splatter of blood that darkens the water around you. And the Unknown Soldier kind of reaches up at you, Toby, puts a hand, well, his only hand, on one of your wrists and tries desperately in vain to pull it out of his chest. It's very weak. And soon you feel the life ebb from its arm as it sinks to its knees and sits there. Still, combat is now over. The soldier appears to be insensate or at the very least, quote unquote, dead as you all sort of recover from the initial shock of combat. Lucy, you come to your senses. The barbed wire around you has loosened to the point where you can grab and unfurl it from around you. You are hurt. You're very hurt. But as you stand up and turn around, you can see that Garrett is standing there with his axe in hand. And Toby is also there with both his hands buried in the unknown soldier's chest. I think uh, the way that Lucy would perceive that temporary insanity and such, I think she'd perceive it as a... uh 
failure of imagination or memory that she didn't use machinations there and would be cursing herself. I was prepared for this shit, and I still fucked it up. This is going to be a driving factor later. Verbally, she says, Hey, um, anybody got a turnip kit? A, a bandages? A few bandages? A lot of bandages. But well, we're gonna have to do it quick. We got, like, what, five, ten minutes before he gets back up? Probably. And Lucy is very clearly bleeding. Not bleeding out, but needs a little bit of medical attention, because she would actually die without medical attention. Yeah, let's, uh, I think there's some back in the, the security room. Let's get you out of the mine water first. Yeah, I'm sure that an infection would be very helpful, actually. Oh, wait, actually, Lucy just remembers, as I look at my character sheet, that she has a rank three panacea in her backpack. Oh, yeah. Forgot about those. Are you going to drink the panacea? Immediately. All right, so you take advantage of a full charge rank three mastery B panacea. So you can heal for 1d3 plus one wounds. All right, let me do that roll real quick. It also recharges 1d3 strain. I healed too, Jesus. <laughs> and because it's Mastery B, you gain a plus two on top of that. Oh, wow, I just restore five strain of each time. Jesus. That doesn't help bleeding, right? Lucy, you imbibe the panacea and you can feel its magical effects start to take hold on your body. The bleeding on your arms and your midsection slows to a tiny trickle as opposed to the almost river that it was previously and you can feel the pain in your body sort of ease up it still hurts but it doesn't hurt as much now you know could be worse you are still bleeding though can one of you two boys help with this actually thank you yeah sure <laughs> i've got first aid yay that is a thing i can do i don't actually know how first aid rolls work on things like this so garrett and toby you can see that lucy's hurting pretty bad and garrett you know that there is a first aid kit in the security office that you just left. So as the three of you make your way back down this central hallway towards the train station, Kristoff appears from out of the fog coming towards you and he says, There was no gunfire. Did something happen? I chopped off his arm. He nods in approval and he says, Right, well, I can see Miss Mercury here is uh, a little worse for wear. Are you taking her inside to treat her? Yeah, there, I believe there's a first aid kit in the security section. Good, good. I'm going back outside to make sure that those other people do not follow us. What other people? The paramilitaries. Surely they didn't come alone. What other people? He kind of squints at you, and then as your words sort of sink in, he cups a hand to his ear to try and listen out past the airlocks to see if really there's anyone coming, and it's silence. Other than the sound of dripping water. Lucy's got a big shit-eating grin on her face. He raises his eyebrows and shrugs his shoulders and he says to you, Well, I don't know how you managed it, but I can't hear any reinforcements coming in. That's nicely, she says sweetly. It's amazing what you can accomplish with, with the right hat and an air of authority. Still, I'm going to make sure that he doesn't get back up. Toby, I'm going to appropriate some of your little trip mines to use as another, as a repeat of what we did at the top of the mine. He nods approvingly. As the three of you make your way down the fog-filled hallway towards the train station, Kristoff goes the other way, and you can see him kneel down to undo the tripwire that you placed at the entrance to this particular hallway, Toby. As Kristoff gets to work, the three of you retreat back to the train station, and reach the security office. The fog here is a lot lighter and the water and there is a sound of running water as the brackish mine runoff cascades off the side of the train tracks and onto the tracks themselves. And I would like either Garrett or Toby to make me a first aid roll for Lucy, please. That's a wash on the dice. Uh, what's the uh, uh, attribute? Dexterity. Okay, it's a plus three. Or not plus three, just a three. Garrett, you're ex-military. You know how to do battlefield first aid, and so it comes quite naturally to you as you open up this first aid kit and start just wrapping bandages and gauze around Lucy's bleeding extremities. This goes here, you hold this, and wrap, 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 done. With 
both of you pitching in, Garrett and Toby, you quickly plug up all of the leaks that have sprung in Lucy Mercury's body. Lucy, you are no longer bleeding, but you're still hurt, obviously. But you did have that panacea, so your wounds aren't as severe as you think they are. Yeah, I'm not fighting to stay upright at this point. As you exit the security office, you can see that the control room in the train station, there appears to be a blinky light on one of the front panels. This for us, after you. Garrett, as you enter the control room, you can see that the green blinky light indicates that a train is pulling into the station. And not a few moments later, you see, well, a small train. It doesn't appear to be a typical subway train, more so like a Japanese-style train, very sleek, pointed nose, almost like a bullet train. There are two cars, and each car is roughly about the same length as a good-sized New York subway car. So this train isn't particularly that long because it's just two cars. And as the train slows down and pulls into the station, you see a trio of people in the front car. I think our ride's here. Three people in it. Thank God. As the train comes to a stop and the doors hiss open, the three of you make your way towards the train and exiting the train car, you can see a Japanese woman in a yellow trench coat, a rather sharply dressed man with high cheekbones, short brown hair, and a black woman with kind of long frizzy hair in a kind of really out-of-this-world pastel-colored tracksuit exit. But as one of them waves you over, presumably to get you in the train car so you can leave, there is a rather almighty crash as, from the fog, the battered form of Kristoff fly and smash into the back half of the second train car. And he's, well, missing his legs. This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Darby for playing Lucy. Rich for playing Toby. Six for playing Garrett. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. Speeding towards their comrades from the land of the rising sun, Chihiro, Jesse, and Adrian come to grips with their task, even as their foe proves that his cowardice was but a moment of weakness. Next time on Where Titans Collide, Part 2.